Bibles to the third psalm. We continue our summer series through the treasury that is the book of Psalms, and this morning we are in the third psalm. It's printed for you on page nine, or if you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn there as well. The third psalm this morning, David, the psalmist, writes, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God, it remains forever. Amen. As we continue our series in the book of Psalms, again, this great treasury we have right in the middle of our Bibles, full of prayers and petitions, honest reflections, and experiences of the Christian life. This third psalm this morning helps us ask the question, a very, very important question in our time. Do we listen to the many, or do we listen to the one? In our lives, in our experiences, in our world today, do we listen to the masses, or do we listen to the maker? Notice how the psalm opens. How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him. There is no salvation in God. Do we listen to that? Or again, do we listen to the one, the one who is Lord of all, the one who is described as our shield, the one who defines our glory and who lifts our heads. This is the question that we as Christians must ask at all times and in all places. You see, for David, who wrote this psalm, this was the question he was forced to ask when he was fleeing from his son Absalom. In fact, your Bible probably has that even as the heading of this psalm. This is when David was fleeing from his son Absalom. For the full story, you can read 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 19 to get the full account of that time in David's life. But if you might remember that Absalom was one of David's sons, and again, he was one who, after murdering his brother to avenge his sister's violation, again, the Bible is not for the faint of heart. The Bible is not G-rated. 
But again, Absalom, who murders his own brother because his own brother had violated his own sister, okay, after doing so, Absalom is forced to flee, to flee from the presence of the king, to flee Jerusalem, only though to eventually be brought back into the palace, if you will, or around the palace. But by then, the relationship between David and Absalom was forever severed. It was forever rendered. And what happened, if you remember the story, is that over time, Absalom grows dark in his heart and he begins to conspire against his father, the king. He wins over many in Israel and he stages this coup of sorts against his own father, against the king, so much so that David, again, David, God's anointed, the king of Israel, David must flee his throne. He flees Jerusalem. And what happens is that as King David surveys what his life has become in a moment, again, fleeing his own throne, threatened by a population that was seduced by the lies of Absalom, fearing what his loose cannon son might do next, David in this condition, David in this circumstance, writes this psalm. He writes this prayer to God. And again, you can hear in those first few verses the nature of his predicament, the details there. But if you go back and look in 2 Samuel, and if you're familiar with the story, you know that even though David flees, and even though the whole world seemingly turns against him, even those in his family turn against him, he continues to trust in God's sovereign plan. He continues to believe that God didn't just choose him and God didn't just set him up to all of a sudden when times got hard, abandon him and flee the scene and go with popular opinion, if you will. David is fearful and he's practical. You can hear that here in the psalm. He is still a mere mortal full of anxiety, but at the same time, his faith overwhelms his fear. At the same time, even in this predicament with Absalom, David remains this man after God's own heart. And in doing so, he chooses to believe that God, even in this mess, still has a plan. To use a phrase from another pastor, even when he cannot trace God's hand, he still trusts him. And we see that here as the psalm works itself out. We also though, see it in 2 Samuel itself. Again, if you were to look back there, you don't have to do it now, but you can make a note. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, beginning of verse 25, it says this, Then the king, that's David, said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, Behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. In the story, you see Zadok wants to take the ark of God out of the city along with David. But David, again, in that one moment, understands that it's the will of God which ultimately guides his life, even through trials and difficulties, even through adversity and rejection, even through these hard-to-understand scenarios. And he says there, no, 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 don't take the ark of God. This is God, if this is God's will, then he will return me to my rightful place. He will uphold my honor. He will protect me from those who are 
shouting falsehoods against me. Again, you can see that David, even though he is stressed, even though he is worried, even though he is concerned, even though he is still patently human, he trusts God's plan and he trusts God's purposes. Again, it's not resignation on David's part, but it's reliance. It's not a giving up, but it's a giving of himself wholly unto the plan of God. Holy unto his plan. Why? Because David knew, he knew vividly of God's faithfulness to him in the past. And if this God who is faithful to him in the past, then he will certainly be the same God who has been faithful and will be faithful to him in the future. And the same thing is true for us as well. Later in 2 Samuel, this happens. It says, then Abishai, the son of Zeruah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? He's now referring to a, a descendant of Saul, who when David was fleeing Jerusalem, this descendant of Saul saw it, and he loved it. He loved seeing David now get rejected, like Saul was rejected, so to speak, or so he thought. And so he begins to curse David. And one of David's servants says, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, again, here's David now speaking again. What have I to do with you, you son of Zeruah? If this man is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? And David said to him and to all his servants, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me. And the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. Have you ever thought about that in your own life? Are you on social media? Are you on Facebook or anywhere where, because of your Christian faith, someone can say just absolute nasty things about you? Maybe not personally, but just even writ large as a Christian today. How much are we cursed and, and slandered? And how often is our response like the servant of David there? How often? Think about even in the ministry of Christ, the sons of thunder, James and John, who wanted to call down fire from heaven upon the Samaritans who rejected Jesus. How often is that us? We're slandered, we're cursed because of the gospel. We're slandered, we're cursed because of the name of Christ. And our reaction is this right here. We want to take up arms. We want to call down fire from heaven and yet, what does David say? It may be the Lord will look on the wrong done to us, and the Lord will repay with good for this cursing today. Again, for David, this was a turn-the-other-cheek posture that we see him employ. We know that from David comes the true son of David, namely Christ, who will teach that very doctrine of turning the other cheek. Well, here... David employs this turn-the-other-cheek posture we see in his own life. This was a bless those who persecute you and pray for your enemies posture in the life of even King David himself. And again, why? Not because he's weak. Not because David is soft or has given up, but because he trusts the maker over the masses. He trusts the one over the many. 
David is not unaware of those who surround him. His own house has turned against him. His own people have turned against him. He is forced to flee his own throne, but though the whole world turns against him, he keeps his eyes fixed again on the one whose favor and approval matter. The one whose favor and approval really matter. The Lord, his shield, his glory, the lifter of his head. And that's true for us as well. If you notice there in verse 4, David says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Notice the contrast there. David has lost his hill, if you will. He has lost his throne. He has lost Mount Zion. He has lost, again, his hill. But he looks to the one who inhabits the hill of hills, He looks to the one who sits on the heavenly throne again, and he has renewed confidence that all will be well. That even though he has been rejected in that moment, the king of kings remains. And he hears our pleas for mercy. And again, that's true for you and I this morning. Though we lose all for the sake of Christ, he remains. He hears our pleas for mercy. What does that look like, again, for you and I this morning? What does that look like in your life? Again, for David, we know it was the conspiracy and betrayal of Absalom, one that caused him to weigh the fear of the many, again, versus the faithfulness of the one. But what is it for you? What is it for me? It's undoubtedly something different. Now, maybe there is some resemblance. Maybe you've been in a family situation, let's say, where you felt betrayed. Maybe you've been in a relational situation where you felt abandoned and betrayed and all alone, like David did here in this moment. Maybe those who you thought you trusted, those who were nearest and dearest to you, again, proved to be otherwise. Maybe you've been persecuted or ostracized in your workplace. Again, I know it sounds silly, but think about David in a similar fashion. Kicked out of your position. Lost favor among your peers. Maybe your faith in God has cost you promotions or position or even just simple social acceptance. Or maybe this experience of David here is the experience of the Christian, again, writ large. The world today feels like the character Absalom, persecuting and pursuing us with malicious intent, attacking and rising against the Christian faith and its values with increasing hostility. Again, the collective shout of verse 2 is the shout of today's world. There is no salvation in God either in this life, he can't help you. Look at how the world's going. There's no salvation in God. What are you, what are you crazy? Or in the life to come. That's also sometimes, there's nothing after this life. There's no salvation in God. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. We die again as more and more people reject belief in God 
at all, but again, in the midst of that megaphone of the world whose voice will we listen to, the many? The many who, like Absalom, for that brief moment, ruled the roost. The many who, like Absalom, for a brief moment, ruled the airwaves and controlled the media. The many who, like Absalom, seem to call the shots. We listen to that voice or we listen to the one who is Lord of all, who rules not just for a moment, but who rules for all time, the one who will outlast every king and empire, the one who, as we saw last week in the second psalm, considers the raging of the nations, the plotting of kings together, and from his heavenly throne, again from his holy hill, what does he do? He laughs. He laughs. For again, the devices and the Plans and schemes of men are temporary. The usurping of thrones by Absalom's are temporary. But God's throne and reign are eternal. Again, which voice will we listen to? The many or the one? This is the question for the Christian. Again, the one who follows God at all times. And you can know how you're answering that question. You can know, again, how we're stacking up. We can know how the question is being answered in our life based on a simple little experiment. And here's the question. How are you sleeping? How are you sleeping? Look at verse 5. I lay down and slept. I woke again. The Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Again, how do you sleep at night? And that's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, the question. I mean, take out the biological factors. Maybe you're a middle-of-the-night peer, okay? Can we say that in church? I'm not sure, but don't raise your hand, okay? Maybe you're simply getting older and you don't require as much sleep. Maybe you're a light sleeper who wakes up at any, you know, when the AC kicks on, it wakes you up and you need a sound machine and you need a sleeping mask and you're just a very, very light sleeper. Again, take out the biological factors for a moment and ask yourself mentally, spiritually, how are you sleeping? There was an article the other day, and perhaps you saw it, um, it came on the Apple News feed about America's just addiction, I guess is the word, with melatonin, right? This just overusage of melatonin. And whatever you think about that is fine. I mean, we even have some melatonin in our, our cabinet. But it was this idea, basically, that just America cannot sleep. Cannot sleep. Maybe we're over-caffeinated. That's probably true. I know for me, at least. You know how much coffee I drink. Okay. Maybe we're over-caffeinated. Okay. But more likely, we're over-anxious. We're over-worried. And so, again, it was this article about how in other countries, you know, melatonin is a bit more regulated. But in America, we pop it like Pez, right? It's like Tic Tacs, melatonin Tic Tacs, right? And again, 
right or wrong, it, it just it, it shows the underlying condition. We can't get to sleep. Why? Again, because we're anxious, because we pay too close attention to the masses, to the headline news, to social media. But again, notice what David said there in verse 5. I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. This is a guy, this is a guy literally being chased by his accusers. You know, we might be figuratively chased. We might be metaphorically chased. We might feel chased by the headlines, but this is a man who is literally being chased by his accusers, literally on the run in an encampment of soldiers who have remained loyal to him. And yet even in that predicament and circumstance, he can sleep because he trusts the plan of God. He trusts his providence and his faithfulness and his goodness and his word. David can sleep, he can lie down and believe because of the truth of another psalm. And you're familiar with it, Psalm 121, one of my all-time favorite psalms, one of the psalms of ascent. Psalm 121 says this, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel, and now think of yourself as a Christian, as the new Israel of God, as the people of God. Again, behold, he who keeps the people of God will neither slumber nor sleep. You see, you can lie down and sleep because the one who watches you never does. Never does. Behold, he who keeps the people of God neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You see, in the face of rejection and persecution, David trusts the one over the many. In trial and adversity, in fear and uncertainty, again, he trusts the one the voice of the one, the word of the one over the many. And again, think about his context. Chased and pursued. In fact, his context also helps us understand a bit more the way the psalm closes in verses 7 and 8. Striking enemies on the cheek, breaking the teeth of the wicked. We have to be careful and remember that the literal context, the original context of this psalm is warfare. Again, as Israel's rightful king whose throne has been usurped. So we cannot apply that directly to our lives in the same way. Again, we don't go out and fight fire with fire. We don't go out and fight force with force. We're not in a physical war. Nor are Christians called to respond in this way. But, but we do know that we're in a very present spiritual war. We do live in a very present spiritual war. There's a very present and real battle in the unseen realm before, between the forces of good and evil. A battle between the sons of God, the angelic hosts, and the demonic forces. In fact, we know that's exactly what stands behind the manifestation of evil that we do see with our physical eyes. But even then, 
In fact, that's the right way to interpret the psalm here for us as Christians today. In that spiritual battle which rages, in that spiritual battle which rages unseen again between the forces of good and evil, we do not have to be dismayed. We do not have to despair, but we can continue to trust the one who is over all. We can continue to trust like David does here, that the Lord will arise, the Lord will save, that it's the Lord to whom ultimate salvation belongs. Look there at verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Does it belong to us? No, it belongs to him. He will fight the battle. He has assured the victory. Salvation belongs to the Lord. His blessing is on his people. Again, we trust the one who made that salvation available to us through the gospel of Christ Jesus and who will in the end of time. The one who will in the culmination of that spiritual battle come again in power and will make all things right will set all things right, will make all things new, will trample evil underfoot once and for all, and will truly usher in the shalom of God, that reign of God, that peace of God, now and forevermore. And so again, the question for us, this day, this year, this season, every day and season of the Christian is do you trust him? Do you trust the one, the maker of heaven and earth, over the cries and the criticisms and the slander of the many? May we all trust him this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you for the honesty of Scripture. Father, we thank you for the honesty of one even like King David. Sitting in the royal courts, chosen by God. The head of a nation, the head of a kingdom. And yet even in that prestige and pedigree was not afraid to admit his fears, was not afraid to admit his doubts, was not afraid to show weakness, uncertainty, admit his anxiety and frailties. Lord, what an example for us. So often we as Christians feel the burden to be perfect we feel the burden to not show any weakness or doubt. But Lord, we thank you for this example we have in the Psalms. This example which evidences the truth of First Peter, which we heard earlier, that you desire for us to cast our anxieties and burdens on you because you care for us. Because you know them even if we don't admit them. And because you are ultimately over them and above them and higher than them. And you ultimately, because of your grace, will sustain us through our doubts and our fears and our anxieties and our concerns and our worries. 
And so, Lord, we again thank you for this example of David. And we thank you for the example he also gives us of a full casting of oneself upon the mercy and majesty and might of God. Lord, again, would that be our posture in this season of life as well? We want to pull our hair out at times when we look at the world. We want to hide under a rock at times when we look at the world. We're even tempted to believe that perhaps you have walked away and abandoned this world. But we know it's not so. We know it's not so. You came into this world. You entered into the mess. You entered into the brokenness. And you began to set all things right at the cross, at the empty tomb of Jesus. And so, Lord, again, help us to see that this morning, we pray. And help us to leave here again fixed firmly upon that foundation of Jesus Christ. Again, for our good and your glory. And we pray this in his name. Amen.